This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, we're, we're back into our series going through the book of Acts uh, after a two-week mini-series. A big shout-out to our interns, Mitch and James. Didn't they do a fantastic job opening the word for us, uh, reminding us of God's vision for authentic community? Uh, this morning we are back into Acts chapter 6, uh, just looking at a very short chunk, verses 1 to 7. So I encourage you to get your Bibles out or your phone out. And we're going to be seeing the importance of keeping first things first so that we don't get distracted from the core priorities of God's mission for his church. Now, according to a study done by Microsoft, looking at our um, use of online media, the average attention span has now fallen to eight seconds, down from 12 seconds in 2000. So I need to ask, are you still with me? <laughs> Haven't been distracted by butterflies or... I think there's a ticking noise back here. What's... Our short attention span means we are so easily distracted, doesn't it? You know... It, we, just, we always get our phones out. We can't wait in a line at the shops without getting our phones out. Uh, we're always scrolling, always searching for the next photo or article or update that's going to give us our next hit of dopamine. Um, you know, even at work, we find it difficult to focus on one task for a, any prolonged period of time. Um, but at a, an even more fundamental level, uh, we can be easily distracted from the core priorities that we have for our life. And we face this every day at work when we allocate our time, don't we? You know, we easily drift towards the urgent stuff. Emails, deadline-driven projects, crises, all the trivial stuff, Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, rather than focusing on the bigger, important priorities that are central to your role and responsibility. At least focusing on the urgent stuff, it, it feels like you're doing something. It looks like you're busy. I had an experience recently... Uh, in our morning routine with the kids, one of my core priorities is looking after our children in the morning. I, I usually get up first with them and make them breakfast and get everyone started for the day. And the kids had finished their breakfast and were playing happily in our lounge room. And we normally have a technology-free household so that we can be present with our children and present with one another. But I was like, oh, the kids are happy playing in the lounge room. I might just open up my computer and check my emails, get on Facebook, kind of just check in for the day. And so I was doing that for about five minutes and everything was quiet. And then I went back out to the living room and our kids were whispering to each other and they were hiding on our lounge under a blanket and I heard Eva say, Reuben, eat it! I'm like, what are they doing? And I went over and I pulled the blanket off them and they had our tub of chewing gum and they'd eaten about half the tub of chewing gum while I'd been checking my emails on my computer. I'd been distracted from my core priority of looking after my children and getting everyone started for the day by something trivial. Um, I needed to keep first things first in the morning. Now, this morning we're going to see how the leaders of the church responded when they're faced with a situation that could distract them from the mission. And we're going to see their resolve to keep first things first. And I think there's so much for us to learn here today. We're going to see what the mission of the church is and how we might take our part in it. But there's so much practical leadership wisdom for us in this short passage that I hope, I really hope that you find this 
relevant, personally relevant for your own work and life situation. Uh, But we are hearing from God and we want to hear him speak to us. I'm going to pray for us and ask for his help. So please join me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have spoken to us, that you've sent your son so that we can know you and that we have your Holy Spirit. Uh, We Uh, come before you this morning and we open our hearts and ask that you might speak to us, that you might address us in your word, that you will help us to hear what you have to say and that we will put aside our pride, uh, that we will uh, not be distracted, that your spirit will help us to focus on your word this morning um, and that you might transform us so that we can take our part in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a few weeks since we were in Acts, so I want to just kind of very quickly give uh, a catch-up on where we've been. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples, the apostles, uh, to preach the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth, and they've been preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, and we have seen the explosive growth of the church. 3,000 people coming to faith, 5,000 people coming to faith. God added to their number daily and all of this growth is because the apostles have been preaching that Jesus who was crucified has been risen amen and yet over the last few chapters we've seen a number of challenges arise that threaten to derail the mission we saw the internal challenge of dishonesty and corruption in the church as Ananias and Sapphira lie to the apostles about how much they've given we've seen the ongoing external challenge of persecution and opposition the apostles in the last chapter in acts chapter 5 have been ordered not to teach about jesus they've been arrested and yet we see their incredible boldness and resolve to keep preaching jesus no matter the cost Uh, in the very final verse of chapter 5 542 uh, after they've been flogged and after they've left the presence of the council uh, it says that every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ so we've seen this explosive growth because of the gospel in the face of extraordinary challenges and today we're going to see another issue arise that threatens to, to, to derail the church's mission it's not corruption it's not persecution but it's distraction, and by a really, really good thing, and even essential thing, but nevertheless a distraction that threatens to distract them from uh, the core priority of their mission. So we're going to read this together, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Uh, So I invite you to open that up, and the verses will be on the screen. Let's read it together. Now, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, 
and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as we go through this episode, we're going to see the problem, the solution, and the implementation. And it, of course, raises the pressing question of the relationship between word and deed. And I'm not wanting to neglect that. We're going to come to that right at the end. So let's track through the story, and then we're going to consider how we might bring these two into relationship, the relationship between preaching the gospel and caring for the widows. So first of all, the problem that they're facing in verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Why? What's happening? Their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, it's been amazing, hasn't it, over the first few weeks of this series to see how radically and abundantly the early Christian community cared for one another. They were selling their houses. They were selling their properties, giving their possessions to care for the poor and needy in their midst. The, the vulnerable were being generously provided for, but here it seems that some were being neglected. And the divide seems to be down ethnic lines, Hellenists versus the Hebrews. So the, the Greek-speaking Christians and the Aramaic-speaking Christians. So the Greek-speaking widows are somehow being neglected, and so the Greek-speaking Christians start complaining a bit about it. You can imagine them saying, man, this is so unfair. What happened to, you know, there's no needy person among us, hey? We're missing out. Our widows are getting nothing. You're getting food and money, and our widows are getting nothing. What's going on? Don't you care about us? You can, you can feel the sense of frustration and injustice that they're feeling. You know, maybe you've experienced this when you're waiting in line in the traffic and someone cuts in ahead of you and you miss out on the green light. You feel frustrated, even a sense of injustice that they got through and you missed out. Now, there's no indication here in the text that there's any preferential treatment being given down ethnic lines. Uh, rather, all the other... Uh, instances of generosity really make it clear that the, the church was giving to anyone, to everyone, as any had need, all these universal categories. Uh, it seems more likely that the problem here is poor administration. The church has experienced this explosive growth and they're struggling to keep up administratively. At the last head count in Acts chapter 4, the church numbered 5,000 men. So when you add in women and children, you're looking at a community of 15, 20 plus thousand people. And since then, in Acts chapter 5, it says that more than ever, more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, over the last three years at Anchor, we have grown substantially from 20 people to about 250 people as part of the Anchor family and we've got five staff and it's our joy and privilege to care for the Anchor family but with five staff caring for 250 people there's more like we struggle to keep up with it. Um, can you imagine the logistical battle that these 12 men are facing as they're caring for a community of tens of thousands of people? They're bursting at the seams and they can't keep up. There are some real threats here for the mission, aren't there? There's the threat of disunity, the division down ethnic lines. Disunity and division are deadly for mission. It slows down the growth of the gospel. It saps our emotional energy so that we don't have any strength left to reach out. There's the danger of dysfunction. There comes a point in the life of any organisation where poor structure and poor management can limit growth rather than facilitating it. 
Organisational dysfunction can be a real threat to the mission. And finally, there's the danger of distraction. Getting distracted from the priority of the mission by an essential but secondary priority. And so, how do the apostles respond to this situation that threatens to derail the mission? What's the solution that they come to? Let's work through it together. So in verse 2, the first thing that they do is summon the people. The apostles call the community of disciples together to deal with this issue. They're not locked away in their offices making a decision, making a decision in an ivory tower. They go and meet with the people. Now, I've got a family friend who's been a Baptist minister for 40 years, and he's just very recently retired. And I was talking to him recently, and he was saying that healthy churches, regardless of denomination and which model you have, healthy churches should have a balance of all three church governance models. So there are three kind of main governance models that a church can have. It can be governed by the people, having a congregational model where the people have the authority and the decision-making power, or it can be governed by local leaders and eldership, um, and that's the model that Anchor has. Or you can have an Episcopal system where there are bishops governing the church, external bishops. And according to my friend, he was saying healthy churches should have a balance of all three present in the life of a community, where there's congregational input, where there's local leaders and external accountability, um, regardless of which model you subscribe to as your own personal church. Um, But here we see the community and the elders coming together. We see the congregational and the eldership dynamic coming together to deal with this issue. And later, in the implementation phase, we see the apostles give the community the responsibility for implementation. And this really reveals to us the importance of listening to people doesn't it? And in involving the people that you lead in the decision-making process. You can't just tell people what to do. Positional authority is important, but you don't want people just to follow you because they have to. You want people to follow you because they want to. And it reveals to us the importance of collaborative leadership and including people in the decision-making process. That's vital for influence. So that's the first thing they do. They summon the people, they consult the people. The second thing that they do is that they clarify their priorities. So again in verse 2, they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the mission that the apostles have been given by the Lord Jesus himself is to preach the gospel from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth. It's the gospel that has brought the explosive growth that they've experienced. And the story of Acts is about the progress of the word of God. Throughout the book, you get these structural markers that indicate the progress of the word. In in the passage we're looking at today, in chapter 6, verse 7, it says, The word of God continued to increase. In 1224, the word of God increased and multiplied. In 19, verse 20, the word of God increased and multiplied. Um, But the word cannot spread when the ministry of the word is neglected. It's like a car without petrol. You can clean it, you can polish it, you can vacuum it, you can register it, you can insure it, you can sit in it, you can strap your kids into it, you can put your key in the ignition. But if it doesn't have petrol, it's not going to get you from A to B. The first priority for the mission of the church is preaching the gospel. Why is that? Because God grows his church through his word, by his spirit. Now, it takes extraordinary courage to say no to a pressing need, doesn't it? 
Some of us really struggle to say no. You know, you want to help people. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You feel bad because you think you're letting people down. But I think that this is an area that we really need to grow in. We need to get better at saying no. And why is that? We need to get better at saying no to guard our yes. Because every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. And if you're saying yes to other people's priorities, then it could mean that you're neglecting your core priorities. But the only way that you can say no is if you have your own bigger yes. You've got to have clear priorities so that you can then make decisions in light of these. So it's worth pausing to reflect for you personally, what are your priorities in life or in your career, in your role? What are the priorities that you have? What is your bigger yes? Uh, what are the things uh, that yeah, are really important for you that should shape your decision making? Now, for me, I, I recently got asked to speak on a camp, um, a ministry camp that was going to be running during the holidays. And it was during my, my own holidays. And I, I'd booked in time to spend with Catherine and the kids during this time. Um, and I knew that speaking on this a ministry camp would require a lot of time to prepare multiple talks as well as time away at the camp and it would mean saying no to my family. So my bigger yes of family meant that I could say no to this other opportunity, that I could say, I can't speak at that camp. It sounds brilliant. It's going to be great. It sounds really important. I love what you're doing, but that's not a good thing for me to do because I can't neglect my family in this time that we've booked in to spend together. So what is the bigger yes for the apostles? What's their first priority? It is not right for us to neglect preaching the word of God. Preaching the word of God is their bigger yes, their first priority. Now you might have heard the story uh, of a philosophy professor who was teaching his class and he got out an empty jar and then onto the table he brought a bucket full of big rocks. And he proceeded to fill this empty jar that the kids could see through, fill it with big rocks until it was right up to the top. And he held it up and said, is the jar full? And the class said, yeah, it's full. And then the professor got up onto the table a bucket full of pebbles. And he poured the pebbles into the jar and it filled all the spaces around the big rocks. And he held it up again and said, is it full? And the class said, yeah, well, it's full now. And then he got up sand and poured it in in the sand field all around the pebbles. And yeah, is it full? Yes, it is. And then finally he got water uh, and filled it up. Uh, And he was teaching a point about our priorities. If you fill the jar up with the sand first, you're not going to have room for the pebbles or the big rocks. You've got to make sure you put the big rocks in first. You've got to keep first things first. Otherwise, the sand will crowd out your big rocks and you'll neglect your first priorities. So what's the big rock for the mission of the church? It's the ministry of the word of God, the ministry of the gospel. If the ministry of the word is neglected, then the mission of the word will fail. So that's got to go in first. That's the big rock. And so the apostles then make a decision, find a solution that lines up with their core priorities. In verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
Now, there's no hint here in this passage that the apostles thought the distribution to widows was not important. It's too important for them to neglect, so they've got to find a solution to deal with it. The apostles, are, they're not happy that the widows are being overlooked and they want to find a solution. But the thing is that it is not right for them to do it. They've got to delegate it to others. The apostles cannot and should not do everything. They've got to put first things first. They've got to uh, stick to their core priorities. And so they delegate their authority and appoint others to oversee this ministry so that the church is freed to continue to grow. And this demonstrates extraordinary organizational agility. The apostles adjust the structures of their organization in response to need and opportunity, but they don't tamper with the vision. They appoint seven people to oversee the practical administrative side of the ministry and that liberates them to devote themselves to word and prayer. And I really want to pause here to honour our board of operations. Uh, There's six people uh, who are part of the Anchor family who serve our church in overseeing finances and policy and property and investment and all the practical administrative side of ministry which frees the staff to serve you guys in the ministry of word and prayer. Uh, so I want to give a big shout out to Ben Hodgkinson, to Elliot Clark, to Aidan Werry, to Sarah Ashby and to Ellen Humphreys and Matt Sparks also serves on the board of operations. Uh, you guys are amazing. We love your contribution. You are a gift from God to us. We love you guys. And Anchor would not be the church that we are today without without you. Uh, Can you imagine if Matt had to do all the budgeting, all the finances, all the policy, all the stuff that he's not good at uh, (laughs) and didn't have any time to prepare a sermon? Like he'd probably still smash that one out of the park. But what a gift that we have these six people that are gifted in these areas that free the staff to, to serve you guys in the ministry of the word. So thank you so much. This reveals to us, doesn't it, the importance of gifts within the body of Christ. Uh, The Bible uses this uh, metaphor of a body to describe the church and says, you know, that a body isn't made up of just one member, just a hand, but many members and all the different members have different functions. For all of us within the church body, God has given all of us different gifts, but they're all for the same purpose, for the building up of the body, for the growth of the church. God has given pastors and preachers and evangelists and apostles uh, to, to lead the church with the word of God, uh, to speak the truth in love and equip the saints for work of service. But then he's given gifts of hospitality and administration and encouragement and prophecy and discernment and tongues and healing so that the body might be built up. It reveals to us that we are all gifted by God, by the Holy Spirit, that there is no sitting on the, on the sidelines in the church. As James reminded us last week, every one of you is needed. The church is lacking if you do not play your part. Your gifts, your prayers, your presence, your witness, your generosity is needed for us to be a healthy church. So it's worth pausing to consider how might God be calling you to serve, to use your gifts for his mission. Are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you just a spectator here on a Sunday? Or are you taking your part, using your gifts to contribute to the mission of the church? Uh, Maybe you are in a ministry team and God is calling you to step up to a position of even greater responsibility. Uh, But here again we see that as the church grows, it needs people to step up in ministry. It needs new leaders to serve. And it reveals also that Uh, the qualifications that are needed 
for this position of leadership. Uh, the apostles say that they need men of good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And it reveals that both the ministry of word and the ministry of deed, they both need spiritual leadership. All ministry is spiritual ministry. Bump in and bump out is a spiritual ministry. For the GC that's on bump out today, that's a spiritual ministry. I was reminding Catherine of this this morning, my wife. Catherine's uh, serving on hospitality and we've had a, a big week, a big weekend. It was our son's birthday party yesterday and, you know, getting everything ready for the party and Arsenal's in town. So I've been at the two Arsenal games and trying to do sermon prep and there's been lots happening. Um, and Catherine's on hospitality and I was just kind of reflecting on some of the stuff that we're looking at today and encouraging her that, her leading the hospitality team is a spiritual ministry. It needs the Spirit of God. And God is going to use her ministry today to bless the church. God is going to use her ministry today to grow, to grow his church and to advance the mission of God. God is going to use the bump out ministry today to facilitate this, us hearing from God in his word. That is a spiritual ministry that needs spiritual leadership. It reveals to us that who we are as people matters for our leadership within the church. Our character matters. It matters that we are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. It's not just about your competence. You might be the best qualified person to lead a ministry team, but you lack godliness. At Anchor, we care more about character than competence, and we value competence up here. We want to pursue excellence, right? for the glory of God, to demonstrate the excellence of Christ, how much more do we value character? So are you pursuing a life that qualifies you for, for leadership? Are you pursuing that kind of character that is demonstrated by these seven that are selected? The good news for us is that this isn't something that we need to attain, but this is something that God works within us. Because none of us can achieve that kind of character because we're all fallen sinners. We need the Holy Spirit to come and renovate our lives, to come and birth Christ within us so that we can be full of the Spirit and qualified for this kind of leadership. And so finally we come to the implementation phase. We've seen the problem that there's this division, there's this potential of being distracted away from the core priority. Uh, and so the apostles respond by summoning the people, uh, clarifying their first priority and making a decision, decision in line with their priorities. And now they implement it. So the community of disciples is pleased um, and the apostles give the community the responsibility of choosing seven people to oversee this ministry. Now you, you might expect that given that this is an issue that's divided the community down ethnic lines that there would be some of the Hellenist minority group present in the seven that are chosen. And I wonder, if you were making this decision, what kind of representation would you include in the seven that were chosen? Would you have you know, a one to six ratio, one, one from the minority group, or two to five? The surprising thing that all seven names are Greek names. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're all Hellenists, that they're all part of the minority group, but it is nevertheless an emphatic statement that the apostles and the community are committed to addressing this problem and ensuring that the minority group in Jerusalem are not overlooked. And so they select seven men. 
We're not going to go through all of them, but two of them are especially notable, Stephen and Philip. And Stephen is, we're told, is a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Stephen and Philip are central to the story of Acts over the next two chapters. Next week, we're going to see Stephen arrested and then preach the gospel uh, before the Jewish council that has arrested him for blasphemy and then executed. And then in chapter 8, we see Philip, the first one to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem to Samaria as he preaches to the Samaritans and even to an Ethiopian eunuch. He's taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So these two men who were given administrative responsibilities in the church, they are so central and prominent in this section of Acts in the advance of the gospel. Regardless of what gifts you have, regardless of what ministry you serve in, we all take our part in preaching the gospel as opportunities arise. Whether you're on the board of ops or hospitality or the connect team or playing the drums, uh, this doesn't mean that you've ticked your ministry box and you're exempt from sharing the gospel on Tuesday at work or being part of a gospel triplet. While we all have different gifts and serve in different capacities, we're all to take our part in the mission of the word as opportunities arrive. arise. <clears throat> And so the apostles commissioned these men by laying their hands on them, uh, which is a visible sign that uh, these seven are being sent and given authority for a specific role, uh, but also a sign that they need God's help. They're not just given a role and a task and a job description and say, saying, go do it. They need God's help for this, for this role. It's spiritual ministry that needs spiritual leadership. They need the, the help of God as they lead uh, as they, and they oversee the distribution. This passage ends in verse 7 with an emphatic statement uh, that's one of those structural markers that marks the progress of the word of God as it advances to the very ends of the earth. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. This shows us that the mission of God is unstoppable. Despite all the challenges that they've faced, the internal challenges, the external challenges, the organizational challenges, the mission of God is unstoppable. The world and the devil will try everything they can to distract us from God's mission, but nothing can stand in God's way. Jesus will build his church. The church will continue to grow as the word of God is preached. And so we see here in this story the importance of keeping first things first of not neglecting our core priorities. Now, I said right at the start that this raises the question, doesn't it, of the relationship between word and deed. How should we think about the relationship between social action and gospel proclamation? And to be honest, I really struggled with, struggled with preparing this sermon because if I was preaching a sermon on the relationship between word and deed, this isn't the sermon I'd preach, right? But I, I really think that given given the flow of the book of Acts, that this is how this story functions. Um, like, I, I wouldn't say that caring for the poor is a distraction, but I think, because I think it's an essential thing, and we're going to see that, but I think that in the context of the book of Acts, as we see these challenges to the mission, that here is another thing that threatens to, to take them off track. Um, but, but it does raise the question, how should we think about the two? We've seen that the first priority here is the mission of the church, uh, the preaching of the gospel. That's the big rock that's going to go in first. 
Now, I think there's two dangers that we could go in either direction as, as, we, as we say that. The big rock is preaching the gospel. The first danger is thinking that the big rock is all that matters. So we can get rid of the sand, we can get rid of the pebbles, we can get rid of the water. It's all about the word, it's all about the gospel. The church shouldn't waste its time caring for the poor because we need to preach the gospel. But the scriptures are clear about the importance that God places on his people caring for the vulnerable, especially the widows. As God cares for his people, he wants us to care for those that are in need. You know, we see this in Deuteronomy, which describes God as one who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. We see this in Exodus as he commands his people that you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. That's serious, right? If you neglect to look after the widow, you are angering God. That is a serious consequence. And this same ethic is carried into the New Testament community. James chapter 1, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. God does not want his church to neglect the poor. God does not want his church to neglect the widows. This is a travesty that the widows are being overlooked. Focusing on the core priority of the gospel, that doesn't mean that we neglect the ministry of caring for the poor. But the second danger is that we actually get the big rock wrong. What is the mission of the church? Oh, it's caring for the poor. That's what we, Don't worry, but it's too much about the gospel stuff. We've got to care for the poor. We've got to love people in practical ways. But we see so clearly throughout the book of Acts that the mission of the church is that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. The thing that both of these dangers have in common is that they separate word from deed. They place them in an either-or relationship. You've got to choose between them. Which one's it going to be? Are you going to preach the gospel or are you going to care for the poor? You can't do both. But that's not the way that the apostles thought about it. That's not the way that the Bible holds, because the Bible holds them together. And so we need to find a way in following the apostles to have word and deed together. We need to see word and deed as inseparable ministries in which the preaching of the gospel is still nevertheless the central priority. I think Tim Chester is really helpful uh, in, in thinking about the relationship between word and deed. Uh, Tim Chester is a church planter in Sheffield in the UK and he used to work for Tear Fund. So he's got kind of that interesting mix of kind of a, a background in development. I think he's done doctoral studies in development studies and yet he's a church planter and he's in ministry and he's committed to the priority of gospel proclamation. And he's written this book, Good News to the Poor, which deals with the relationship between social action and gospel proclamation. I found it personally really, really helpful in exploring this. So if this is an issue for you, if you want to explore this, this would be the first book that I'd recommend, Good News to the Poor. And in it, he's got a quote that I think is really helpful. Now, proclamation should be central, but a centre implies a context. And our proclamation should take place in the context of a life of love. If we're preaching a gospel of love and we're not being loving, our lives are undermining the message that we're preaching. The message of the gospel only makes sense in the context of loving actions and loving community. You need to have both together. The deeds 
follow the words as the word is the central priority. As I said, I've been at the two Arsenal games over the last week. Um, Arsenal is a football team, a soccer team from the UK. Um, we were in London last year and I got to go visit their stadium and that was really exciting. Um, and I was even I was thinking about wearing my Arsenal jersey up on stage here today, but I didn't want to make a fool of myself like Matt's been making a fool of himself with all this talk about origin. Um, and I'm probably making a fool of myself now as I talk about it. But, you know, we're talking about the priorities of the church. Let's think about the priorities of a football club. You know, Arsenal is one of the biggest football clubs in the world. And one of the things that these big football clubs do is that they go around uh, and try and engage their community, right? You know, they, go, they send their players to go and visit sick kids in hospital. That's great, isn't it? They send their, their players to local primary schools to do uh, kind of football development stuff. They send their whole squad to Australia to cultivate their international fan base. They do interviews and sponsorship and all of this cool stuff that's vital for life within a football club. But imagine if they didn't play any football. That would be neglecting their first, their core calling and priority. Arsenal is a football club. They've got to train. They've got to get out on the pitch. They've got to go win the FA Cup. And hopefully this year they're going to win the Premier League as well. But imagine if, <laughs> imagine if they didn't play football and they just did all that other good stuff. Imagine if the church did all that other good stuff but neglected to preach the gospel. We've got to keep word and deed together, but we've got to keep first things first. We've got to not neglect our core priority. The ministry of deed is vital. It's a really good thing. It's essential for the ministry of the church. It facilitates and supports the mission. It's the, a vital fruit of the gospel in our life together as the community. But if this really good thing distracts us from our central priority, then we've got a problem. And so it's worth pausing and reflecting upon our life together as a church here at Anchor. What might be some of the really good things, really, really good things that we love and cherish that could distract us from our mission? Our, our band is amazing, aren't they? Don't we love to come together and sing? Wouldn't it be a travesty if we thought the mission was just about music? We love all this amazing styling and don't, don't our design team do an incredible job? Wouldn't it be a travesty if we thought that was the main thing? Caring for the poor, engaging our community, essential, really good things that the church should be doing, but we mustn't let any of these things, these really good things, derail the first priority of the mission of the church. The church is not a social club. The church is not a social justice movement. The church is not a concert. The church is not a design agency. The church is a community of disciple-making disciples. If we lose the gospel, church, if we lose the gospel, we've lost the mission. This story shows us the importance of keeping first things first. The church's mission is that the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth and if the word of God is neglected, the mission will fail.
Now, the good news for us is, you know, we get easily distracted. But there is one who never got distracted from his mission. There is one who always kept first things first, who knew the good that he ought to do and he always did it, who was tempted and threatened and oppressed and challenged to divert from his mission, but he stuck to it, even to the bitter end. Jesus was perfectly obedient to his Father. He prayed in the garden as he contemplated the cross, not my will, but your will be done. And he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He died so that we might live. And the good news is that this is his mission. Jesus is the one who keeps first things first. Jesus will build his church. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that we will have his priorities. So as we respond now in worship and by coming forward and taking the Lord's Supper to the stations on the side and at the front, let us remember Jesus' willing obedience to the Father, which led him to the cross, and which is the grounds for the mission of the church. That's the gospel that we proclaim, that Jesus died and rose again for our salvation. So let's pray together. And, and also, if you would like prayer, our prayer team will be out the back as well. Let's, let's, let's pray together as we respond. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this challenging message from your word. Um, we ask that you would protect us, that you would guard us as your church, uh, that we would keep first things first, that we would always be single-minded in our preaching of the gospel but that we would not neglect to care for the poor. Father, as we respond now, we focus our hearts and mind on Jesus and uh, we thank you that he ran the race for us, that he didn't, didn't swerve, he didn't wander away from the cross, but he, he perfectly obeyed you. We thank you so much for his life and his righteousness and his death and his resurrection. We ask that you would make us more and more the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.